Hello! And welcome to No More Mr. Nice Guy. My name is Katherine Brooks. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Today is such a fun episode. If you've been to this party before, you know that I am a life coach for men and that No More Mr. Nice Guy is a podcast about helping men to overcome nice guy syndrome so they can fully and truly thrive and simply be yourself in the world. One thing that we have not yet covered on the podcast, and so I brought in the big guns today to help me talk about it, is how nice guy syndrome shows up in dating. And why do I feel particularly called to this subject? It is because I date men and I am a men's coach. I certainly pick up on nice guy syndrome when it is coming up. And also, by the way, I've said this before, I have been a nice guy. I have been in the same patterns as nice guys. This is why I feel so passionate about this subject, because there is another way. So I would love to introduce you to my friend and expert, brilliant dating coach, Sheila Nova. Sheila Nova is her first name. It is like a Beyonce, a Madonna, a Cher. That is the strong first name. Sheila Nova has jumped in to provide me with some expert dating coaching from time to time. And we are just going to dive into all of the nice guy dating juice today. So first and foremost, Sheila Nova, will you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do in the world? Yes. Thank you so much for having me here. I am ready to dive into this. So you know how some women basically, they, they are confident in their career, they're confident in everywhere, and then but they're not confident in their dating life. Once they catch Can't feelings relate. for a dude, they... <laughs> once they catch feelings for a dude they completely like their entire emotional well-being is hinged on every action that he takes or doesn't take and so I predominantly work with women who want to be able to really find love without the anxiety and completely transform their love life with unwavering self-confidence instead of you know these all of these anxious behaviors that keep them spinning on when the guy is going to text next And I think it should just go like with that saying that, you know, if anyone is listening to this and thinking, why are two women talking about, you know, a men's dating experience? We're really having this conversation about Catherine's experience dating nice guys. If you can relate to any of those situations, how she might end up working together with you to really overcome some of those barriers in your own dating life. And there is no shame here. We are not going to shame anyone. I truly believe from the bottom of my heart, and I'm going to guess Sheila Nova that you do too, that everyone is just doing the best with what they've got in the moment. And we are all acting out patterns that we have from childhood, ancestral and beyond. Nice guy syndrome is one of those. And so we're here to illuminate places where nice guy syndrome may be showing up in dating with men from personal experience. And as usual, there is no shame here. If I were to really detail all of my crazy patterns that I've had in dating, that would be a whole other episode that people would not want to hear. So no shame to anyone. I am definitely some ex's psycho ex-girlfriend. We've (laughs) all done the crazy things. (laughs) But let's... Somebody's dinner party story. Let's... 
<laughs> yeah, I am somebody's dinner party story for sure. I'm like, that woman I call the cops on. <laughs> okay, but this actually... I'm going to out myself. Yeah, this reminds me, can you just give a brief overview of the transformation that you had in relating to dating and relating to yourself? Because it is so massive and it's why it sets you up to be just such an incredible support to the people you work with. Oh, yeah, sure. I used to be the kind of woman who would spend hours stalking your Facebook page. I would then use my sexuality to lure you in and to keep you around and to completely manipulate you in a way that like was always kept you coming back to me in some kind of way, even though you made it totally clear you did not want a relationship with me. But we had really, really great sex. And then I would go so far as stealthily and cunningly asking you to borrow your computer because I needed to check your email because this was back in 2007 when iPhones didn't exist. And then I would remotely log in from your computer to your office computer, download all of your passwords to Gmail, Facebook, anything, you name it. And I was logging into every message app you were on. I could see everything I was. And then and then I would change your password settings on the on your Google so I could track your IP address when iPhones did come into existence. I was fucking crazy, y'all. And <laughs> Catherine is absolutely losing her shit. <laughs> If you think that, <laughs> if, if you, yeah, if I used my brain power <laughs> for absolute nonsense, now I use my brain power <laughs> to come up with creative ways how to solve these problems and these issues with my clients because I completely transformed into an individual who it's impossible to offend me. I am, I am unbothered and totally bulletproof to rejection. I do not get hung up on anyone. I like became so unattached to like the dating scene. It, it literally did a 180. I became a different person. Catherine, I want you to talk a little about, about what nice guy syndrome really means because we can be like, what's wrong with being nice? But we're really giving a definition behind this. And just to say that, you know, if you resonate with any of these and you're feeling any kind of shame, that's probably somewhat normal. Just know that I've done anything crazier than you. <laughs> <laughs> and we've come full circle. <laughs> and you are probably the most secure person with yourself who I've maybe ever met. I and think so all, too, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all cultivated from within. Yes, 100%. It's like your security doesn't hinge on the fact that you're married. It doesn't hinge on the fact that you are in a relationship or that you are a parent. Like it doesn't hinge on other identities that we take on. It's just so you. Yeah. And I want that for everybody. I think you yes. do too. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's talk question. about nice guy syndrome. What's really define this? Because what's wrong with being nice? Great, great question. So nice guy syndrome is a way of seeing the world. Nice guys believe their foundational worldview is that if I am nice and agreeable, then I deserve in return love, belonging, and to have my needs met without having to ask. So nice guy syndrome shows up in relating to the world in a transactional way. I did the dishes and so my partner better say thank you. And if not, I'm going to feel resentful, maybe sulk, maybe snap. I stayed late at work and 
if I'm not getting public recognition from my boss, I'm going to feel like shit. Nice guys exist with covert contracts with other people, with how the world works, and they use niceness and agreeability as their currency. The question of what's so bad about being nice? Actually, the answer is totally nothing. It's when niceness is used in a manipulative way with the belief that I deserve something in return because I'm showing up this way. Ultimately, the entire belief system is inauthentic. And so what results is anxiousness, low-grade misery, all the way up to depression. I want to name that nice guy syndrome is a spectrum. Let's call it zero to 10. A 10 out of 10 would be super depressed, someone whose needs are totally not getting met, who feels deeply unfulfilled in his relationships, who has a lot of anger, but it's all repressed, who's snapping and can't understand why, who has sexual compulsivity because he really doesn't know how to show up to get his sexual needs met. And a one out of 10 nice guy syndrome might be like some guys I've gone on dates with where they really do feel like they're showing up as themselves in the world. But in some relationships, they're really quick to compromise what they want to appease the other person. Which is interesting because from a nice guy syndrome perspective, it's like I'm doing all of this stuff so I appear pleasing and nice to you. It, the person having this syndrome or say is like, oh, if I do this, they're going to think highly of me. But when as a woman on the dating scene, dating men, because you're actively doing this right now, you Correct. have dated a lot of nice guys and you don't have this experience. Your experience of a nice person is what? Expand on this. One of the fundamental fears that a nice guy has is I don't want to be an asshole. Hence the costume layer of niceness. And so when I'm on a date with someone, I can immediately sense if they're a nice guy because it feels like they're putting on a performance and they do not ever want to name their opinion of something. So even if we're like, hey, where do you want to meet for coffee? It's often, well, you decide whatever you want because of that fear. Well, I don't want to be an asshole. And if I were to name what I want, it might be coming across as not nice. And then she might think I'm an asshole. Now that I'm deep in this work, when I notice nice guy syndrome coming up in someone on a date, I can instantly feel it. I will name what's your experience of that. It's slightly a turn off because somebody is not themselves. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point you just made because it's the difference between being nice and being authentic. I would rather someone be authentic and that means they're awkward and they stumble over their words and they tell me the truth of what's going on inside of them. And I I would rather someone be like, I'm feeling so insecure right now. I'm afraid that you're going to think X, Y, and Z about me and all these terrible things. Then you're trying to hide all of that. That is actually way more attractive. Naming that is going to blow people's minds because the nice guy is so afraid of really revealing what's going on inside. Hence the exterior of I'm Mr. Agreeable thinking a woman would actually love to have him show up and say, hey, I'm just actually kind of nervous right now, but I'm still glad to be here. That's actually what we want because humans resonate with truth. So if 
someone has ever stood in front of you and just stated something that you could tell was true, you feel it in your entire body and your entire body almost experiences relief because we can physically feel what truth feels like. And I think I'm slightly on edge around nice guys on dates because it's like, I just can't figure out who they actually are. I did go on a date with a guy recently who did show up pretty nervous and he just owned it. He didn't say to me, I'm really nervous right now, but it was just clear. But there was never a part where he was posturing or trying to pretend like he was super confident and this big kind of guy. He just showed up nervous. And honestly, to me, it was so endearing. And I was really looking forward to get to know him better because of it. 100%. I was talking to a woman who said, Every guy I've ever dated has said to me, oh, you're, you're too nice. You're too nice because she's so accommodating. If you've ever had that experience as a man that women are telling you, oh, you're so nice or you're too nice, that is not a compliment. That is an invitation to speak your truth and set your boundaries because human beings want to know where other human beings stand. We want to know where the boundaries lie. So if you're working with a guy who is noticing this pattern, he's holding himself back because he wants the woman to think of himself a certain way. How would you work together with him to move from niceness to authenticity? I have one client in mind and he had just started dating someone and she wanted the relationship to move faster than he was comfortable with. His nice guy syndrome was showing up in that he was having a really hard time setting a boundary and saying no to requests like, let's move in together. Let's take a big trip together when that actually did cross his boundary. So first and foremost, getting clear on what your boundary is, is paramount because it gives you your standing. So the first thing I would say with somebody I'm working with is, what is your boundary? And they might not know. And so we're just going to chip away. Well, is your boundary, you might be ready to move in with her in six months Do you want to have a conversation with her a year from now? And we just start to bring to mind different scenarios because your boundary exists within you. You may be struggling to name it or it may feel scary to name it, but by offering your brain different scenarios, it's going to feel like no, yes, no, yes, like a sorting hat until we get to, and I think for him, it was something like he'd be ready to have the conversation about moving in together six months down the line. Then we get to how do we say that? Because it feels like a really big emotional risk to say that. And it might not come naturally. Ultimately, when I'm working with someone and they're standing there with two possible paths to take, and one is being the nice guy and one is being authentic, I remind them of what their initial values are. If they've hired a life coach, they're probably looking to align with a truer version of themselves. Now, we don't have to be perfect. And this one might be too hard for them to stand up for themselves. However, bringing them back to what are your values and what is the kind of life that you want to be living, often that is powerful enough to help people overcome what's a very real fear of taking an emotional risk to name your boundary or name what's important to you, especially if you've not done it before. If you've never spoken up and you're not good at setting boundaries, like this is totally new to you, you are never going to reach a point where you feel secure taking that first step. 
you're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel anxious. You are going to feel scared. It is going to feel very, very risky. When I started speaking up my truth, I started literally speaking up what was going through my mind. So I would identify what was going through my mind. So I'd be like, what am I actually scared that this other person is going to think of me? And I would identify that. If I set this boundary, what am I afraid is going to happen? And then I tell the other person that. And so what that looked like would be, hey, I've been having something on my mind that I've been wanting to talk to you about, but I'm so scared to tell you because I am afraid that you are going to either get really upset or you're not going to like me more, or this whole relationship is going to become super awkward. I am so afraid that that's going to happen. I'm actually pretty sure that it is. At the risk of that, I would rather be honest with you. Can I just talk to you? I'm going to stumble over my words. I feel really nervous about this, but I can't keep it inside anymore. First of all, when you share something like that with somebody, you are being emotionally vulnerable. And that is what creates intimacy and connection between two people, which is what we all are really wanting when we are actually holding ourselves back. What do you think? Ownership is attractive. And what you just said, naming exactly where you're coming from. I'm actually so afraid to say this. I'm afraid it's really going to affect this relationship. I'm afraid of what you're going to say. But there's something important to me that I want to voice is fully owning your own experience. And often what nice guys don't ever think about is when you are in ownership, even in ownership of what could be seen as that entire internal mess, that is attractive because humans resonate with truth. And what's so funny is my clients are shocked that when they put themselves first and they're fully owning themselves and what's going on with them, they become so much more attractive. They start to get their needs met. They deepen their relationships. And there's a lot of socialization that tells men, don't be vulnerable. It makes you weak. It's emasculating. I also think that we are in a cultural wave where we're starting to bust that myth because it's actually, it's 180 from the truth. It's completely a lie. What you just said, the reason it's so heartwarming to hear somebody just name their fucking truth like that is because they're owning it. And no one can take this from you. This is why, have you seen Eight Mile with Eminem? Oh gosh, it's been too long. The scene in that movie where he's in the freestyle rap battle and Eminem goes first. And usually what they would do is just diss one another. And instead he just completely owns his life. And he's like, I live in a trailer. Here's what's up. Here's my life circumstances. And he just owns all of the shit and then that gets to the guy who he's battling and he's like oh i don't even know what to say and the reason we love that scene and why it's so iconic is because ownership everyone's like standing there staring at eminem like oh my god i can't believe he just named all of that and he just said the facts society is actually telling you be a man or be strong or whatever taking ownership that's what that looks like If you're really in your masculine energy, if you're really taking ownership of your life, that is a very attractive quality. And it doesn't matter what the ownership is, even if it's what's going on in my mind right now, you should see like crazy town up here. Absolutely. And why do we even love hearing that? Because everyone can relate and say, yeah, same. No one finds attractive someone trying to emotionally dump on you, whether it's a man or a woman, and then 
giving you the responsibility of making it better. The men are thinking like, oh, no, I really can't be myself because it actually turns women off. But no, if I was coming to you and I was like, I feel this way and you're driving me crazy and you need to change it, like you're going to feel helpless. It's not going to be it's not going to bring us together. It's not going to connect us. But if you can take ownership and be like, look, this is what's going on with me. I'm fully owning it. And like, this is not your problem to solve. I'm just working together with you through this because I'm navigating our relationship together. What are your thoughts on that? I saw an interview. I can't even remember the name of the expert who was talking about the dating research behind this. But what he was saying was, and this is in a totally hetero context, a woman wants an emotionally available, emotionally aware emotionally expressive man. However, she wants him to be resourced to handle his emotions. She doesn't want to be the therapist, the coach, the mama. There is this desire for men to be deeply in touch with themselves and to express and be in ownership. But to be resourced means to have a professional if that works for you, whether it's therapist or whatever, or to have a men's group or to have a coach or to have somewhere where you are getting supported on a regular basis to process. So that's not all her job. And women right. have been doing that emotional labor of being men's emotional processors for as long as recorded history has been happening. And that I feel we're, we're over. And I was relating to that part. And yes, with resources, please emotionally express, but you're right. Just don't dump where I would say where we want to be emotional processors for people. The first person that came to mind is my two-year-old daughter who cannot emotionally process and needs help doing that at her age. She cannot emotionally regulate on her own. And so if we're doing that for an adult, it's almost like there becomes a parent-child relationship. Then that dynamic is not something that brings us closer together in that situation. With a child, with it being as a parent with your child, of course it does. And so we do want to be the emotional processors for our children. At least I do. <laughs> Let's talk about our relationship as friends. It's like, you'll come to me or I'll come to you. I've said before, hey, I'm going through something and I'm looking for help, but this is where I am right now. This is what my brain is going through. I am owning my own shit. And I'm also on some level not expecting you to take care of me, not expecting you, you know, I'm I'm asking help, but also taking ownership. So it, taking ownership doesn't mean not asking for help. This juxtaposes how nice guy syndrome works. So if the nice guy is constantly in a transactional relationship with others, he's believing, well, because I've been nice and agreeable, and I showed up to all the things that you invited me to, I'm going through a hard time. And so I deserve your support without me needing to ask. What's right. different between that and between us in our friendship is, first of all, we have no expectation that because we're friends, then we deserve something in return. Like there's this transaction, like you then need to support yeah. me when I need support. That's one. Yeah. And if the other person is not available, it's all good. It doesn't affect the relationship at all. But two, there's that ownership piece, like you're saying, and part of the ownership is asking for consent. Hey, there's a lot on my mind. I'm spinning about something. Do you have space to help me process? And because we have such clear boundaries in our own lives, we can also give that boundary to each other. Like, no, I can't do that right now, but here's when I can. 
definitely without a, if this is too much to ask, you just let me know because I just a hundred percent trust that you will say that's too much if it is, but we don't need to manage one another. And another symptom of nice guy syndrome is the nice guy tries to manage others because he also expects to be managed in return. And so this sounds like in dating, someone will ask me out, let's say from a dating app. He'll say, would you want to meet up? Maybe we could go for a coffee this weekend. Go on that first date. He's interested in getting together again, but he won't say that. It's like, well, if you'd ever want to get together, you let me know. There's no ownership of his desire. It's kind of off-putting for me or he's giving 100% of the power to me so that he doesn't have to own his desire. That's a turn it's off. Ki- it's kind of like saying, I want you to set the boundary with me so I know where I stand instead of let me set the boundary because I'm going to trust that you have your boundaries too and let's see if our boundaries line up. Okay, so let's talk about more real life examples from your dating life. Let's go into Catherine dating. (laughs) One of the examples that when we were talking about this podcast was just, it was a really small thing. You were sitting down at a booth ordering. Tell us more about that. This is a tell if nice guy syndrome is present, he doesn't want to pick what he is ordering. It's like he wants me to choose everything. And I think that's because he doesn't want to put a stake in the ground for this is what I want. And if you don't want that, you might reject me. From my point of view, it's a little challenging to sit down and have dinner with somebody when they're not telling you what they want. He's thinking, I assume, I'm being so nice and I'm just giving her all the space in the world and she can order whatever she wants. And I'm thinking, this is really hard to be a team here and make decisions at this place where everything is shared because he's like, well, I don't know. What do you want? Yeah, that's a turnoff for me. Everyone likes someone with an opinion and we all have them. (laughs) Start sharing them and you'll see where your opinions align or overlap. For example, a guy is trying to let you take the lead and be really nice. Like, what is he fearing that if he does speak up and say, no, actually, I'm really interested in ordering the chicken, but you actually really want the fish because you don't eat chicken. If that's running through his mind, it's like, I don't want to offend you. Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. My hunch is that he is fearing rejection and it's showing up in a people-pleasing way. Part of why that's a turnoff is because, first of all, in any relationship, both people are going to reject one another at some point, whether it's rejecting something that someone wants to do, rejecting a request. And so if I'm sensing that he has such an adverse reaction to that, it doesn't really set me up to believe that he is partnership potential simply because disappointment and disappointing one another and rejecting one another is just going to be a part of that dynamic. Do you think at the heart of nice guy syndrome is really the fear of being rejected? Rejection doesn't just have to mean I don't ever want to see you again. Rejection can just be like, I don't like what you're doing or I don't want to order that thing or I don't actually agree with your opinion or I don't really care for what you said. It could be any form of that. That is not actually, in my opinion, what we truly fear what we really fear is what we make it mean about us if that were to happen. And so that's what we're trying to avoid. If the fear of rejection is showing up in those little moments on dates, it's because the nice guy is actually walking around already in rejection all the time because he's rejecting himself. 
he is rejecting his authenticity through nice guy syndrome. The fear of rejection is actually creating what he doesn't want. And I talk about this often on here that what the nice guy fears he's creating because by being afraid that she's going to think I'm an asshole, he's actually showing up as an asshole because he's lying and not naming his truth. And so the nice guy gets into these cycles of creating his biggest fears and living those out, but then wants to put up all these walls so that nobody else could see what he is believing about himself deep down. And you're right. Is it really the fear of rejection? No, it's probably the fear of being unlovable. I kind of want to describe my experience from the fear of rejection. I was so afraid to speak my truth and really share who I was because I was afraid that then the guy would find out the real me. And then once they uncovered the real me, they would run. I actually had evidence for this. But because when I actually revealed myself, I didn't know how to navigate it. I didn't know how to own it. I could see why guys did run. I want to bring up one other guy who is sort of a different iteration of how nice guy syndrome plays out. This is a guy I went on a date with several months ago. And he described himself as not a feelings guy, which to me was slightly off-putting because emotional intelligence is very important to me. It's at the foundation of how I live my life. He did seem disconnected from his emotions and slightly robotic. And then when he named I'm not a feelings guy, I just thought that was really funny. Help us understand why that is not true. We were laughing about this yesterday because... If your consciousness right now is locked inside a meat suit filled with chemicals, (laughs) your body, you are going to have feelings at every single conscious waking point of your entire life. That's how feelings work in the body. The reason why this is, is because your human brain wires and fires together about 60,000 thoughts a day. You can't turn it off. And the roommate in your brain just doesn't shut the fuck up. So when those thoughts wire and fire together in your brain, those neural pathways, they create chemicals that essentially we've labeled as feelings. Those chemicals are constantly firing in your body, whether it's just, it doesn't even have to be a bad feeling. It could be a good feeling. It could be something slightly left or right of neutral, but you are always feeling as a human, there is never a time where you don't have feelings. Maybe when you are at the deepest, longest way of sleep is maybe not when you're even conscious that you're having feelings, but otherwise you are. I know you had a football analogy about this. You have to tell it to everybody. Yes. I was laughing because it's like, I would say about myself, I'm not a football gal. Football's not really my thing. I don't know a lot about it, but that doesn't mean that there's not the NFL happening and players and coaches and teams all currently active at this very moment. And by me declaring I'm not a football gal does not negate the truth that football exists and is a sport and is a very large business. And it's just funny to name I'm not a feelings guy because are you a different creature? Like humans are feeling beings who happen to have cognition. We often think that we're cognitive beings who happen to have feelings. No, it is the other way around. We are animals. We sense one another and we happen to have cognitive thought additionally. When I was training to become a coach, I remember the stat where 
our bodies, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but it's something like our bodies can process like 60,000 bits of information per second, where our brains can process 40 bits of information per second. The, the difference is huge. And that is because our body is picking up on so much more information and can process so much more information faster. And it is through feeling. Yeah, we are ha- we're having feelings. If you're listening to this right now, you're having some level of emotional vibration in your body. There's been chemicals created all the time from your thoughts. And so when someone says, I'm not a feelings guy, my first thought was, is it because socialization has been like, don't cry in front of women or feelings equate to crying? But that's right. not true. I mean, for you, what do you pick up on for when men say, I'm not a feelings guy? To me, that said, one, he does not understand the importance of having a healthy emotional life because he's rejecting his own emotional experience. And two, he's totally disconnected from himself. That's what it says to me because that's also what I understand from my own experience before I really understood healthy emotional processing, how to name what I'm feeling. To me, and this was my hunch from that particular experience, he would really struggle to deeply connect because he's not in touch with himself at this whole fundamental level. If you've identified yourself as not a feelings guy, or I don't really do feelings. I also had this one boss, I was working in sales and he was like, we don't need to talk about feelings when it comes to sales. And I'm like, no, that's exactly what we need to do because <laughs> that's literally what drives everyone's behavior to buy. But I think men are kind of socialized to believe that we can't have feelings. Now, when they're onto something in the sense when you don't know how to navigate your emotions and you let them spiral out and then you're out of control, that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Being in touch with your right. feelings is being able to identify them, being able to own them. It doesn't mean that you're reacting to them in a way that you don't want to. It just means no. that you're aware of them. Right. And I want to name that someone who says, I'm not a feelings guy, could have had really tough childhood experiences with a caretaker who had no control over their emotions. And so he has shut himself off from that. I don't know if that was the case with this guy in particular, but that is common. And if you saw caretaker have huge blowups or was really depressed or was crying all the time. It's so common to want to shut yourself off from your emotional experience because what was modeled to you was unwell. I don't think that was this guy. I think this was more his socialization showing up and he, no one had ever really told him why it might be important to get in touch with his feelings. He also was the leader of a company, and I think in a little bit more of the old school, less vulnerable way, didn't want to show any emotion. My take for nice guy syndrome, you let me know about this. At the heart of it, you are also not comfortable with your discomfort. Absolutely. And so if you're not comfortable with your own discomfort, you're not going to be comfortable with other people's discomfort. I'd love to give an example, actually, from my own marriage. Yes. This happened recently, and I just talked about my husband as if he's an AI experiment because sometimes I'm like, do you not have any negative thoughts about yourself? This is totally insane. But he's not a perfect person, and neither am I. And this is where I would say his nice guy syndrome, I wouldn't say he's like a full-blown nice guy syndrome, but where his nice guy syndrome showed up, he wanted to play in this kickball tournament. And we have a two-year-old. So if someone is going away for like 16 hours of the day, it's the other parent who has taken on a toddler aka mini terrorist like and I 
just kept getting the impression. He kept like skirting around the issue. Like there's this kickball tournament coming up. I was like, are you going to the kickball tournament or not? Just tell me you're going to the kickball tournament. He was like, yeah, I want to go, but you're going to be in a grumpy mood having to be with our two-year-old all day. And I was like, why is that a problem? So what if I am grumpy? I'm pretty sure anyone would be grumpy hanging around with a two-year-old all day long because they have tantrums. It's like their logic is absolutely insane. And they're also adorable, but like they're also insane. And I'm like, why is it not okay? That opened up a conversation where he was like, I feel like I can't really enjoy myself if you are their toddler and you're not having a good time. And I was like, here's the thing. It is okay that I am not having a good time. Allow me to have that experience. And then you go on knowing that I'm full well going to have a human experience around a toddler and you go and enjoy that thing because the truth is I love when you get to enjoy your thing. I love that you do get a break and I love when I get a break. And so I love when we both get our breaks. If I'm okay with me not having a good day all day, but I know that you are, there is no resentment on the table for that. That is just the name of the game. And I think just like even me telling him that, he was like, oh, okay. Like it gave him permission to go and enjoy the game while I was not enjoying being at home all day. But allowing yourself to be uncomfortable, being comfortable with your own discomfort is going to help you to be comfortable with other people's discomfort because humans are supposed to have negative experiences. And sometimes those negative experiences will be because of the choices that we make. And that is okay. That is supposed to be happening. What are your thoughts? That is reason why the nice guy doesn't want to name what he wants to order from the menu because he doesn't want me to have an uncomfortable experience of perhaps not wanting something that he orders. And it's like wanting to take away all the potential discomfort from someone else. That is how he thinks he creates safety. Yeah. And I'll say this, the more you own and take responsibility for yourself, you will start attracting people who do the same thing. It doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Clearly, I just gave you an example from my own marriage. But you can start to navigate those situations with each other and realize, oh, okay, like I'm just having a thought error right now. Like I actually don't need to take on responsibility for my wife's emotions at home. That is not my responsibility at all. It's actually the exact words I said to my husband. My emotions are not your responsibility. I know that there's going to be people watching this and be like, uh, I beg to differ. Like I know some couples who think that they are responsible for each other's emotions, but you're only thinking that when you're having something like nice guy syndrome, when you're participating in that mentality. When I was able to take ownership of my own emotions and not make them someone else's responsibility, my husband is also very much a person like that. Like he doesn't expect me to take care of his emotions. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we can easily navigate those situations a lot faster. Yes. That's a huge learning for the nice guy is he's not responsible for other people's emotions. Yeah. And I, speaking of ownership, I want to own where I was a nice guy on a date recently where some nice guy syndrome showed up for me. So I was on a second date. We went to dinner in the, let's say two hours and 15 minutes total that we were together. This guy asked me two questions all night. One was, how was your week? And one was, what are you doing for the holidays? He monologued for the rest of the time. Initially, I was engaged. I 
was interested in his stories. He was a really great storyteller. He was funny. His stories were interesting. He's traveled a lot of places. For probably the first hour, I was interested. And then we ordered, we were waiting for our food and a switch flipped and suddenly it turned draining for me. And suddenly I didn't want to just sit there in silence and be talked at anymore. That's the moment when nice guy syndrome actually for me kicked in because I didn't say anything. I was physically uncomfortable and I was sitting there wanting to leave. And I kept flashing to images of my apartment thinking, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. That was the moment for me where I could have said a host of things. But what would have been true for me was, hey, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go. That would have been the truest truth because that's what I wanted. Of course, I could have also said, hey, curiosity is really important to me. It doesn't feel like you're being curious. But I didn't want to say that because that was doing the emotional labor for him to perhaps dredge up a connection where there obviously wasn't one. And I was way past the point of looking to find or to create a connection there with him. Yeah, I stayed silent and we wrapped up and I finally got home, decided I wasn't going to see him again. But that was a moment for me where I was kind of wearing the agreeability cloak instead of naming my truth. Yes, a lot of women are doing this because my clients who are women, the number one complaint in the dating world is men don't ask me any questions and they just talk about themselves. And so if you are a man who is not asking any questions, if you're just talking, it is typically a sign that you really are seeking to be heard and seen and understood by someone outside of you. And doing that work for yourself is really important first because you'll leave those dates feeling so attracted and like wanting to go on a second date with that person again, because you have been the only one talking. So you're the only one feeling heard seen, which makes you feel emotionally connected to someone. The woman also needs to feel that way. And so you can do that by asking her really interesting questions. Yes. Side note about dating. (laughs) Ask very interesting questions. Show up that person is going to teach you something and you don't know what it is, but you like need to find it out. Be curious. Curiosity is hot. So ownership is hot. Naming what you want is hot. So this is my last topic of nice guy syndrome. Let's talk about where does this show up in getting defensive versus getting curious in the conversation? Where on your dates have you found that men have been defensive where they was an opportunity for curiosity? I feel like men get defensive or anyone gets offensive when they're being so nice and they're people pleasing so much at the expense of their selves, they start to resent the other person. And so when that person makes a request that they don't really want to do, it's like, or they'll get defensive. Or sometimes it, it comes up when someone asks you a really personal question and you get triggered. And then all those flooding thoughts of like, I'm not really lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be valuable to her. Then it's like, if that sort of gets triggered, our defensiveness comes up to try to protect that. I want to actually name a time when a guy could have gotten defensive and he did get curious and it created a really nice interaction for us. A date that I was on, a first date, when I walked up to meet him and we had met on an app, so I hadn't met him in person before. 
he looked and sounded just like a guy who I used to know years ago, who I do not have a great taste in my mouth about. It was a friend's partner who just some shit went down. And so I have a negative association and I was having the hardest time unseeing this on this guy's face who lives thousands of miles away from this other guy and does not know him. About 30 minutes into it, I just felt like I had to name it because it was really distracting me from getting to know him. And so I was like, hey, listen, you look and sound just like this other guy. I have a negative association with him. And so I'm recognizing that my brain is projecting that a little bit. And I just wanted to put that out here so that you know that I'm, I have some walls up because of that. So that could have been a moment where he got defensive or, well, that's not me, or had some type of reaction to the fact that I was slighting him in a way. However, his response really surprised me and created a moment of connection that was very memorable for me. He said, oh, would you mind sharing what happened while you have a negative association? And I was like, sure. So I shared. And then he said, what's this guy's name? And I shared. And then he said, oh, should we make a joke? Like if I do something that reminds you of him, like we both call it out. And I was like, no, that's kind of bringing him into this too much. But he got curious with me about it and did not take it personally. And I found it to be the singular moment of that whole date that I'll always remember. Overall, it wasn't a match, but that was a really actually probably standout moment in my dating life overall, because it felt really vulnerable to share that I was just straight up projecting onto him, but I couldn't unsee the similarity. And then he just received it, didn't take it personal and met me where I was. Yeah. And then when it's like you tell someone what's going on in your brain, it's like then they can make sense of your actions. Because if you have all these walls up and like they don't know what's going on inside your head, they're just thinking, oh, maybe she's not really into me or like maybe she thinks what I'm talking is is boring. But that had nothing to do with it. If you don't let people inside your world, our brain will just fill in the gaps with information that is 99.99999% of the time incorrect. Completely. And we have to know that our brains will fill in the gaps. If I hadn't tapped in and thought to myself, gosh, what's going on here? I would have probably written off that guy so fast. My brain would have come up with some story about why he wasn't a fit. And it's like, oh, actually, it has nothing to do with him. But there's this other thing going on. What is the opposite of nice guy syndrome? Authenticity. When I've talked to recovered nice guys, they call it freedom. I say, personally, my word is integrity. It's your words, your values, and your actions align. You could say authenticity. You are moving through the world in alignment with who you truly are. Or it could simply be freedom and you get to stop hiding. I would call it a sexy ass man. (laughs) Amen. It's so magnetic. He is attractive. The recovered nice guy The guy who moves through the world in integrity with himself, he is so attractive. And I do not care what any of the power, wealth, status factors that men typically ascribe to themselves as making them dateable or not dateable. None of those things matter. 
I remember yeah. the story I feel like- when I lived in New York about this photographer who was trying to make it on the fashion scene as a fashion photographer. He was homeless because he couldn't afford to live in New York. And every night he would just have one night stands and sleep over at women's places. There was this whole article in New York Magazine about him. And I remember thinking, I bet he is just, it's not his necessarily his looks, but I bet he's so charismatic, so confident. He's so true to himself. And that is magnetic. Yeah. I felt when I had my transformation, I literally like state this on my website, I transcended into a realm where men were captivated by my newfound aura of self-confidence. And so that's why I'm like the opposite of a nice guy syndrome is like, yo ass getting late. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's what it is. There's no question. There's truly no question. It's as simple as that. It's so worth it to overcome this. It's so worth it to work with someone like Catherine because she really has worked with so many men with this issue. And I think at the end of the day, we all want that freedom. We all want to have connection and intimacy. We all want that relationship. We all want to be able to show up powerfully and navigate our careers and not burn out. What's stopping you? This woman is right here. Amen. Nice guy syndrome is not a death sentence and it is not an end destination. It's a series of patterns and habits. And the beauty of being human is that we have the power to change our own brains. There's yeah. something else And available. I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where we eliminate all of our nice syndrome forever and ever and ever. You just had one on the date. But you can get to a point, I think, you know, working with a coach like Catherine, it's like you can get to a point where when that stuff arises, you start meeting it very quickly, either in the moment or you start noticing it very quickly afterwards. So resentment doesn't build. So it doesn't create more anxiety down the road or more stress down the road. Yeah, exactly. We're not going for perfection. We're going for a more joyful life. And that's available. Let's fucking go. Yes. This was so much fun. Thank you. You are the best. Thank you. It was fun. What a treat. I'll talk to you soon. Yay. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.